The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can support Isotopica by going directly to our website being www.theculture.net slash support. All the engineers, programme makers and artists at Resonance FM provide their work on a voluntary basis. Resonance FM can be found at resonancefm.com. Thank you for listening to Resonance FM. Countdown must have started by now. 22. 21. To the luck of the human race. 18. 17. Good evening, you are listening to Istopka. It's me, Simon Tishko, and we just played in there with the final moments from a 1961 science fiction film called The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Um, as well as being cheesy and patriarchal, I guess it was also a classic of the apocalyptic films of its era. Uh, the notion was that the Soviets and the Americans had both detonated powerful bombs at exactly the same moment nudging the Earth off its axis and dooming us to burn to a crisp. After all the usual denial of the scientists, alarm calls, they exploded two more bombs designed to flip the Earth back into the correct orbit. 
The film ends with two versions of the newspaper's front page waiting to be printed. One reads, World Saved, the other reads, World Doom. It ends without revealing which is the outcome of the second detonation. I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Let me qualify that. In 2013, David Cameron at a big climate conference in front of assembled world leaders, he flaunted the, at the time, 97.8% scientific consensus on anthropomorphic climate change, which was leading to a rapidly approaching apocalyptic future. At best, I think I'd like to say he did bugger all in response to this, but in fact he did the reverse. He cut subsidies for renewable energies and home insulation and opened up the UK to the utterly toxic practice of fracking. Plus, he hit our true carbon emission levels through various export tricks and slate of his privileged hands. Um, following on this week, it was announced that there's actually now a 99.7% scientific consensus throughout the world that there is indeed an imminent man-made climate crisis already happening. The mad heat waves and storms are just the opening notes in what could easily and rapidly bring a civilizational crisis to the fore. It can bring a rapid and dramatic fall in food production, plus severe and unpredictable weather events causing catastrophic flooding and inevitable destruction of clean water supplies for many parts of the globe. The resulting waves of refugees from both first world and third world countries will dwarf anything seen in humanity's brief history. And once again, it is not fiction, nor wild opinion, but the widely held consensus amongst anyone paying attention to the truth hidden beneath the pew, what a scorcher headlines so popular in our right-wing dominated headless press. One other thing, Theresa May increased VAT on solar panels about a week after the UK emptily declared a climate emergency, which was in response to the activities of the Extinction Rebellion last April. So we have the words, and not only no action, but reverse action strange. Um, of course, I'm actually saying this as an artist and in the form of a polemic, the usual things we do on Isotopica. Uh, it's a polemic against the status quo and I guess as anyone who listens to Isotopica knows, dissent is in my header and in the small print of my label and if you want any balance on this you can of course pick up the Daily Mail or perhaps look for the redacted paragraphs on NASA's website where Donald Trump has famously had them remove as much information and science on this terrifying consensus as he can get away with. Um, Next I'd ask what can we do about it and I'm sure like many of you there I have been marching and flag waving on environmental issues for as long as I've been able to express my own opinion and in that time humanity in search of profit for a few and empty fun for the masses has produced more toxins and poisons destroying our home than we have ever produced before so that's with the full knowledge of what's going on and so yes you can march or you can bury your head in sand or sign a petition or stop using plastic straws yet i believe until fundamental machinery both financial social and political radically change then within the tiny window 
that all of the evidence points that we actually have left to make any meaningful change is gone really. So, in the conversation coming up with Roger Hallam, who's one of the founder members of Extinction Rebellion, we discuss XR, its reasons, its successes, and its plans for the future. Um, XR is essentially a program of civil disobedience, and as a broadcaster on a licensed radio station, I cannot as such encourage you to act seen as criminal. Yet, I guess, as a discerning listener of Resonance FM, you are more than able to weigh up the various evidences that are easily available and make your own choices on what, if any, action to take to help put an emergency break on the utterly immoral notion of business as usual. Uh, Roger Hallam, having put himself on the line on numerous occasions, is planning to do so again and again and again, as are many thousands of others across the globe. And it seems all are planning to take a week or two out of their work and play schedules from 10am on October the 7th, coming up in 2019, for what has been billed as the Second Rebellion, which is happening in a city near you and on a planet called Earth. So today we're going to have a further conversation with Roger Hallam, one of the main founders of Extinction Rebellion, and we're going to catch up with the latest news of XR and hear what they've got coming up for the future. Personally, after this, recording this conversation, I hid under the table for a while with both my cats. But I live on to fight another day. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Isotopica with Roger Hallam. Once again, Roger Hallam, very nice <laughs> to see you and uh, joining us back here in Isotopia on Resonance. Hi. How's it going? It's been an extraordinary year, hasn't it? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's not over yet, is it? <laughs> so far, it's been an extraordinary year. Last time we spoke, it was before the April Rebellion. Yeah, I can't remember, was it? It was yeah, be- yeah. before the it was April Rebellion. A few weeks beforehand, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was getting a little bit stressy about getting people to go, but people did go, so that was a relief. You study this. I mean, there hasn't been any phenomena like this in terms of a movement that has actually picked up and spread so widely, has there? No. I mean, beforehand, you know, I'm sort of on record saying, you know, if a thousand people get arrested, you know, it's going to be significant. But I was shitting myself a little bit the day before, on on the first day, about whether it would happen. I was pretty sure it would happen, Mm. but you don't want to get it wrong, you know what I mean? Because it's a serious matter, saving the world. So, yes. <laughs> I woke up on the Monday morning thinking, Roger, I hope you got this right, because uh, if you haven't, there's not many more options in the bag, you know, just go back to emailing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a bit of a relief. And then as the week went on, it was a bit like, all oh, right, OK, this is cool. Mm. You know, we're getting somewhere, we're on the go. And, uh, yeah, it was quite amazing, wasn't it, really? She'd basically gone from coffee shop in Bristol to an international movement in the space of nine months. Yeah, yeah, it was in April, I think, last year, uh, when there was 15 of us in a cafe going, let's have a rebellion, and everyone looking slightly sheepish, Mm. as it were. (laughs) 
for a few weeks afterwards, people were going, so what are you up to? And saying, oh, I'm organising a rebellion. I was always expecting them to go, <laughs> you know, like, that sounds slightly silly. And mm-hmm. they weren't. People were going, all oh, right, OK, great, good idea. You know, with a certain look in their eye. And it was at that moment, or during those moments, I realised that the nation is finally ready to reclaim its radical tradition. And... Uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say, really. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I really hope you're right. I really, I mean, we've seen examples that it's certainly, the premise is right and it's working. When I say I hope you're right, I hope this goes through to the end game. You're being accepted by the establishment. I noticed today, I don't know if you saw the news today, but the Victoria and Albert Museum has picked up all of the graphics, the flags, the banners, the actual printing blocks are now part of the Victoria and Albert Museum permanent collection. Right. And they're saying Extinction Rebellion are already as significant as the suffragettes. And there's an affordable... Well, that's nice. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as a formal academic worldwide respected organisation, that's it. You've got the seal of approval from <laughs> Queen Victoria. Well, I mean, I think 1,200 arrests in eight days is an all-time record in British history mm. for a single civil disobedience event. Someone told me, I'm not very good on numbers, so don't, you know, take this as red, but... I think the suffragettes were 1,500 arrests, but it was over quite a few years. It was a long time, And obviously yeah. lots of other things were happening. But, you know, we don't want to get into, you know, who was better than who, do we? No, but no, 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 no. It's in the ball- obviously, it's in the ballpark of making a serious impact on national consciousness. Yeah. And that's what I've been arguing for the last four years, mm. you know, since I came down to London to do research at King's College, is, is look, you know... This is how the world changes. It changes when people get arrested. And it sounds really reductive and, you know, simple and whatever. But some things are, are pretty straightforward, you know. Mm. And uh, getting arrested or putting yourself in a position to be arrested is one of the main and arguably the key way in which social movements make an impression on, on the society they're in. Mm. So it didn't surprise me one bit. I mean, I'm on record on YouTube saying it four weeks before, and if there's a thousand arrests, we're in the ballpark of some substantial change in opinions. And I think before the... Well, and b- before before April, the climate emergency wasn't even on the agenda, was it? Never mind. <laughs> but afterwards, I think the, the stat is 65% of the British public now agrees there's a climate emergency. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go to that point because, I mean, let's, let's frame it as it needs to be framed because I'm really aware of this and yet, um, I've said this to you before, I'm 99.9% of the time I'm in denial because the scale of what we're facing, the climate emergency, climate disruption, climate disaster, it's, it's off the scale, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And this is what, you know, most analysts, both on the left and right, don't get. Mm. Is, you know, people, we all do this, don't we? You see a phenomenon and you fit it in with what you already know. Yeah. And what everyone wants to fit Extinction Rebellion into is, oh, it's another social movement about another issue, another problem that needs to be fixed. Mm. You know, and it's not. No, that has it's, to be stressed. It's a fundamental breakdown of the whole geophysical system. Yeah. And if you're not aware, if you don't have a geophysical system that supports humanity, you don't have anything else. Mm. You don't have welfare checks. You don't have university education. You know, you, you don't, don't have, you don't you don't have, have anything. Yeah, you don't have resonance and FM you and you do not practice as an artist. No, no, you don't have anything, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like air. Air is not an inner issue. And, and the thing is with it, it sounds, it sounds like a real polemic, but this is based very, very firmly on a quite unique scientific consensus. And scientific consensus tend to be conservative and yet they are 
screaming from the top of the houses themselves, but they don't even have the voice that Extinction Rebellion seems to have found. Well, Extinction Rebellion is in the business of making sort of reality out of information, if you see what I mean. The scientists have been doing their job to a certain degree for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like last last October, when it was the 1.5 needs to be the limit, this report came out from the UN. And it, I think that was a bit of a game changer because that's the point, I think, where lots of people woke up that this isn't something happening in 30, 40 years' time. Mm. If this isn't sorted, in so much as it can, of course, in the next 10 years, then we're hitting catastrophe. Mm. And 10 years is not that long away. Of course not. And of course, if you actually, it's been completely misquoted. Because the actual, what it actually says in the report is we need to halve carbon emissions in 10 years, or 11 years, in order to have a 50% chance of avoiding catastrophe, okay, right? Yeah, that's so, so you're still, maybe if we do so if we cut if we cut carbon emissions by 50%, we're still putting our kids on that aeroplane with a 50% chance of it crashing. Yeah. Well, that's not conventional risk management, right? You're supposed to be getting it down to whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, 1% would be sort of nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing is just someone, it's the mother of all mass delusions, the whole climate debate. Mm. And, you know, what Extinction Rebellion, of course, has done is said the emperor's got no clothes. And not only has the emperor got no clothes, we're going to we're going to disrupt society until basically everyone accepts the emperor's got no clothes. And then, of course, that's when change will happen. Mm. But change won't happen by just having more scientific reports. That's mm. a big part of my research is that people just don't change. I'm giving you lots of information now, but lot, no disrespect to your listeners, right? Mm. But a lot of your listeners will just carry on, you know. Of course. And and that's not because they're terrible or anything. I do the same thing. We all mm. do the same thing. Mm. I'm an organic farmer. I've known this for 10 years intellectually, like mm. a lot of people, but I was still on my farm weeding my spinach thinking, uh, well, I'm sure someone else is sorting this out. Kids are going to sort this out. Mm. Climate camp's going to, you know, there's these great people. Greenpeace seem to be on the case. Mm. And then years go by, don't they? And, 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 and then you just yeah. have that moment of truth when you're driving along the motorway or something, you know, <laughs> causing even more harm, of course, of you know, course, yeah. that's because all hypocrites. Uh, but then it's just like, actually, no, mm. it's not it's not going to get sorted out and then the penny dropped that unless people start breaking the law we're gone and mm. even if we do break the law it's like we're probably gone anyway and all the rest of it yeah and context once again breaking the law being a very very specific and more or less scientifically worked out method for bringing about the change necessary to save life as we know it on earth yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> the proposition, yeah. right? That's we're, the proposition. We're talking in science fiction terms, aren't yeah. we? All the time, it's science fiction terms, but it's no longer fiction. This is an absolute reality. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're bringing the resistance experience of the Global South into the Global North. Resistance People, from the South, explain. What, the civil resistance model, this mm. model that mm -hmm. we've got of going to the capital city, sitting on the roads day after day until the regime fundamentally comes to the table or collapses. That's the model that's been used. It's the most successful model that's been used in the Global South for the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, it's used every few months, but obviously it's on page 7 of The Guardian, so no one really knows about it. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, Sudan, th that's what they did four or five months ago. About a year ago, it happened in Algeria. About two years ago, it happened in Ar Armenia. Now, obviously, like, doesn't necessarily, as the literature shows, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win, otherwise we'd all be living in a nice world. But it's the most effective method of creating structural change. And, you know, there's other, other allied sort of non-binary strategies like people not paying their taxes and what have you, which are coming along the line and high-level high civil disobedience, which we can talk about. But that's like a central plank 
uh, and arguably the central plank. And in October, just so everyone knows, to take the time off work, mm-hmm. 7th of October for a fortnight, we're asking people to take time off work, come down to London. There's going to be thousands of people in Berlin and in Paris and Madrid and New York and all around the Western democracies and what have you. And we're using this dynamite tactic, which is we're not just coming down for a day, we're coming down forever, effectively, day after day, until police forces start to wonder whether they're doing the right job or not. Mm. And, um, and this is new, right? It's like we've, we've had this idea that happens somewhere else, but it's, you know, in April it happened here and, you know, everyone thinks, wow, I've never, great. ever, ever seen... Um phenomena where the protesters you decided we're going to end this in a couple of days and we're going to have a closing ceremony that's that's unprecedented well that's the that's the you know that's the significant thing about extinction rebellion that people need to understand is we're not we're not claiming we've got everything sorted out because obviously we haven't right it's difficult with the best will in the world you're obviously making mistakes and it's a lot of a mess a lot of time however the central point is, is unlike Occupy and other social movements, it's planned. Like mm. we were planning this for a year and a half. I was going out doing prototyping, as it were, getting arrested and seeing how things work. Mm. Other people reading literature on how to mobilise people effectively and blah, blah, blah. Now, it doesn't mean we've got the whole story right, but we've done a decent amount of research. And, and you know, that's what I do at King's College anyway, as a job, as you might say. Mm. But so when we came to start it last April, it was a bit like, these are some key elements that work and then we were saying to people this is how we're going to do it if you don't like it that's cool you can go and join another social movement but these are the things that work going to talk to ordinary people being a post-consensus structure people can't veto each other being nice to each other always helps no calling out being vigorously non-violent mm. and aiming at a rebellion i.e. going to the capital city and there's a few others you know variations on the theme but these are like major changes in the way that the progressive left or whatever you want to call it has been operating for the last 30 years and it's not a surprise that we've been successful i mean obviously being successful is people extremely worried about climate so mm. you know we obviously come along at the right time to a certain extent but there are these things that work and it's what social science does it's not an exact science it's not saying it works all the time but broadly speaking if you go to a capital city and sit down there day after day and you get thousands of rest you can you're in the ballpark of having something substantial. Well, if you go to a capital city, you know, with a million people and wave some banners, you're in the ballpark of nothing happening. Yeah, which is far too <laughs> yeah, familiar. And it's, far, far yeah, too no familiar. disrespect to all those people that have done it, right? Yeah. It's just, that's what social science does, is, you know, it has a look at it and does some cause analysis. And sometimes some things are fairly clear, right? So this isn't the time... As Erica Chenoweth says, she's like one of the main scholars of rapid social change and social uh, political resistance and what have you. She's at Harvard, she sort of knows what she's talking about. And she came to the UK earlier in the year and she said to us, we've got no excuses. You've got no excuses now. Like the research has been done. When Martin Luther King was doing his civil rights movement, they had the autobiography of Gandhi in the Bible and that was it. That's all he had to work on. Mm. Well, now we've had 30 years of research on which rebellions work and which don't and why they don't and mm. how to maximise your probabilities. I and mean, it all sounds a little bit technical, but it's a serious situation, right? It's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't just turn up and expect it to work. I'm a great believer in evidence. I mean, and you've got the evidence of what works and what doesn't work why would we do anything else yeah and it's like trying to get people to understand that tactics are are simply that they're means to end Mm. a tactic isn't doesn't have some intrinsic morality so means to an end what's 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 the next stage what are the demands what is going to be the first thing that changes you can see 
Well, we could, you know, the main thing to communicate is that we're coming back in October in a big way. I mean, we've just had, I think it's five cities have been doing boats and things in the centre of the cities. The idea of that is, it's a warm-up act, you know, it's to get people ready for October, primarily. Mm-hmm. It's not about bringing down the regime or anything like that, you know, it's not even in the ballpark of it. But in October, we've got a specific strategy. And that specific strategy has just been officially agreed this week, so I think I'd tell people, <laughs> is, is a movement of movements approach, as it's being called. So if you look at Irish Tenuous research and other people's research, the name of the game is once you've got thousands of people in the street and people getting rested and all the rest of it, the next step is to get more of them to do it. And any particular social movement, obviously, is only going to have a certain appeal. With best will in the world, Extinction Rebellion is not going to appeal to all people. Without going into details, it's obviously got a particular feel, yep. particular demographic, and it's very difficult to get lots of different people all in the same space. Of course, it's just the way I'm it is. very much looking forward to it expanding. Yeah, so <laughs> the way for it to expand is to say to other social movements, look, we're all in the same boat here. If there was ever a reason to combine together, it's now. Because everything we all stand for, everything progressives have worked towards since the French Revolution, is all about to disappear. We're going to go to social collapse and fascism and extinction. I don't need to go into details, but it's like beyond bad. So whether you're a feminist or a liberal or a conservative Catholic or whatever, all the progressive human sort of values that we have across this big range need to be directed towards direct action. And so we've got people coming from the animal rights movement, got people coming from trade unions, got people coming sort of more environmentalist sort of orientated, faith groups, might have some tractors. <laughs> mm. So all these groups traditionally, of course, and even within them, have been fighting each other and possibly for good reason, right? Because mm. there's lots of hypocrites around and lots of people doing things which they shouldn't. Sure. But what we're trying to say to people, and this is what I want to put across, is... Yeah, we're completely valid in having, deciding other people are bad and not doing the right thing. But we're squabbling while the boat goes over the waterfall. Do you see Mm -hmm. what I mean? So you can feel as virtuous as you like, but it's not going to help us not going extinct. Not going to help social collapse happening in the next 10 years. So it's all hands on deck. And that means people have to mature and grow up a little bit and go, okay, don't particularly like those people, but I'm going to work with them anyway. And then once we get onto the street in October, my prediction, as it were, and, you know, it might be wrong, <laughs> everyone might start falling out, but my prediction is, is once you've got people in the street, people forget their differences. If there's some, there's a bunch of vegans sitting down in Oxford Circus and some trade unions come down and sit down next to them, they're not going to be thinking, you're a trade union and I'm a vegan or something. They're going to be going, you're someone with me and you've got that classical resistance sort of community thing going mm. on that you read about in the books. Yeah. And once people are arrested together and all the rest of it, as you saw in April, lots of people came up to me afterwards and said, Roger, that was the best two weeks of my life. So... You know, what's that about? Well, it's mm. nothing to do with neoliberalism, that's for sure. sure <laughs> they should have been, if it was to do with neoliberalism, they would have been coming up going, Roger, you owe me two weeks like money, right? <laughs> but it's not because there's more important things in life. That reminds me of, you know, post-World War Two. Um, we had this sort of great sort of social consensus because the classes really mixed exactly what you were saying, that you yeah. had the, the baker, the butcher, the candlestick maker, everyone was involved in one cause, mm. which was a defeat of fascism. And and afterwards, while that memory was still there, the whole of society became much more egalitarian and mm. turned into a sort of golden social age 
until mm. Margaret Thatcher decided to end that, of course, mm. you know, and the dismantling of the post-war consensus as such. And so that's very much, it sounds like this is, this is very much what's needed. This is movements of movements, you think? Yeah, and, um, you know, it's, it's a step in the dark, right? We mm. don't know, you know. I mean, of course. In two or three weeks' time, it might have all fallen apart and everyone was saying how terrible each other are. I don't know. But uh, what we're trying to do is bring people together and we're using that 1930s logic. The 1930s, like, if progressives don't come together, we're all dead because Hitler's out to get us, right? Mm. And it's like the penny dropped, didn't it, in the late 30s? Sure. It was like, this is it. <laughs> this is now or never. We are literally going to be dead. Mm. And, and that's the pennies dropping all over the place around the progressive base in society where people go, actually, this is it. We've re-entered history. Mm. We're not just reading books about it or watching, you know, Netflix series about the Spanish Civil War or something. This is it. We're coming back into history. And there's going to be massive social disruption coming down the road one way or another. And the obvious way to minimise terrible things that might happen is for people to combine together in non-violent civil disobedience. That's the best shot we've got. Mm. Um, so that's the plan in October. Oh, there could be a lot of people. I'm not going to give you a figure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Really, actually, that, that notion of coming back into history, we're back into history because the you know, neoliberalism announced the end of history, didn't it? Uh, you know, the end exactly. Of, uh, and we've in all bought into that. People yeah. on the left, have all, we've all bought into it. I'm in my 50s, 30 years of my adult life. Whether people accept it or not, that's the subliminal consensus on the left. It's like, we used to be able to do things, but we can't anymore, and we've just got to accept there's no alternative and all that stuff. Mm. And it's basically like nothing happens anymore other than consumerism, individualism, yeah. and depression, and, and then you die. Well, like, that's not happening anymore, mm. right? Just like record temperature yesterday, wasn't it? 38 degrees mm. in Bethnal Green. Right. You know, it's just walking through it. It was like walking through some sort of treacle, wasn't it? It was just... Mm. And, it, and it's like the penny drop this is real it's, it's happening food production is going to collapse and then you're going to go to Tesco's yeah, I mean, and there's going to be no bread yeah, I mean, this bring, is how, bring, how it bringing it back to that point the food, food collapsing earlier on this year in France um, major food basket of France an area that produces X percent of the gross grains fruits vegetables and vines were all destroyed in a 20 minute hailstorm mm. that was one specific area in Europe but mm. it could have been anywhere because that hailstorm preceded the massive heat wave which has hit Europe this year mm. now if that happens in one area and then two areas and three areas it means there's no food in the shops that's something from last time we spoke that really came home to me mm. and once you do not have food in the shops then the panic starts to set in very very quickly yeah and once again you know we're talking on an art radio station and me as an artist I keep thinking what's the point of my art practice if there's no food in the shops if there's no electricity to broadcast on the radio if there's no this and there's no that which is it's it's not a fiction this no. is it, you know it's statistically and I think that's the moment quickly. that's the moment of truth mm. when a critical mass of people go I'm going to get hurt anyway my career isn't worth anything anyway my children might die anyway all these things are going to happen anyway so I might as well put myself in harm's way you see what I mean? It's like, because with all this whole denial thing, I mean, I've been talking to people about being arrested for four years, so I know all the excuses. And obviously, like, some of them make a lot of sense. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of them don't. Yeah. It is possible to lose your career, right? 
Losing a career is not the end of the world. The end of the world is the end, the of, the end world. of the world. The end of the world is the end of the world. You know, okay, it's yeah. like, you get another one, right? Mm. It's not, it's okay. When right. I went on hunger strike at King's College, mm -hmm. I got thrown out of my accommodation. That was a real pain, but I just slept in my car and, you know, in various other places I'm going to tell you about. But it was all right, you know, I mean, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the moment of truth, isn't it? Where you just go, yeah, well, so be it. And I've got massive privileges as you should know in this country that the likelihood of getting shot in police imprisonment or something isn't that great. But, you know, in other parts of the country, you know, I've got a friend who's a researcher in Egypt, you know, his trade unions in Egypt have all got scars on their head because they're being tortured. Yeah. So just been going around the country talking to people, and this is the point I'm making. In actual fact, it's difficult for a lot of people, but the fact of the matter is it's not for a lot of other people, right? Mm. And, and it's no big deal. It doesn't need to be a big deal in the wider scheme of things. Sure. And it's massively effective. And that's why we sort of won that argument now. Because a lot of people were saying, you know, we get arrested, you know, it's just like some fetish or something. He said, no, it actually works. And it's not saying it's always going to work or whatever, but it's working. So mm -hmm. let's go for it because we haven't got much time and we, we have to keep dithering. We've got to go, right, let's do it. I think, know? once again, that's a point that really, really has to be emphasised. We do not have time. There is isn't, there is no time. In one of the books that really jolted me into the reality of the situation, which is this uninhab The Uninhabitable Earth, and I can't remember the author's name, but it's, oh, doing, yeah. it's very much doing the rounds at the moment. Yeah. But it describes, in no uncertain terms, that the climate, the environment that actually nurtured and allowed life on Earth as we know it to evolve pretty much to get to where we are now. Mm. It's over. It's not coming to an end soon. It's actually over. We're already mm. in emergency damage limitation. Mm. It's, 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 you know, that period's gone. The Anthropocene is upon us. Mm. And it's, it's a fatal one. Well, if you're a farmer like me, I've been farming in Wales 20 years before I came down to, to, to London. And I think it was 2005. Again, I can't quite remember the right year. So I think it was 2005. It rained every day for seven weeks. Now, for me, that's like an act of God. Raining every day from the 2nd of June. It's like, for most people, it doesn't really feel mm. like anything. But it's, it's off the scale. It's like one in a thousand years sort of thing. Destroyed all my crops. I mean, not a single vegetable survived. Mm. And, you know, I, loads, I lost loads of money. A whole, about 20, 30 people working on the farm. Everyone lost their jobs. But no one really knows about it because you go to Tesco's and there's no courgettes from Spain and fly them in from America. Exactly. So it's like you're oblivious to it. But if you actually go to the front line, tens, hundreds of millions of farmers around the world who are in complete, like, terror. And that's not an exaggeration of what is going to be happening every season now. Because we've had, a, we've had 10, 15 years of this. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had, I had, like, the following year it rained every day for seven, seven weeks, effectively. Then we had the coldest winter ever. I lost all my winter crops. You mm -hmm. know, then we had the warmest April and the dullest August and, mm -hmm. like, the hottest summer and the dry, you know, it didn't rain for 12 weeks last year in, in, in Wales. Like, when did it last do that? You know, 10,000 years ago? I don't know. But it's off the scale, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're a farmer, it's already happened. I look at the sky and I'm terrified of the sky because I know that, you know, I only have to go up 300 metres and I'm dead, right? You know, can't grow anything up there. It, it's not... Human habitation is not the earth. This is a mm. fundamental thing to understand, mm -hmm. right? 99.9% .9 of the earth is just dead rock. Okay. Right? What we live on mm. is six inches of topsoil and 300 metres of elevation. Mm -hmm. Beyond that and below it, that's it. 
we're dead. <laughs> That's all we've got, right? And you think about it that way, just a little line, a sliver, a universe of, as far as we're aware, a void. It's like, it's, it's the ultimate mm. off-the-scale madness, isn't it? Mm. You know, we're just tearing up this little sliver yeah. uh, which has sustained us. Yeah, and certain bits of information penetrate a little bit more. And there was one talking about the film, Al Gore's film. And since that film came out, which unequivocally laid out the details of what we were or doing... Wasn't it? Something like that. Time flies, the inconvenient truth. It really, really Mm. flies. It's terrifying. Um, We've done, you know, off off the scale, the amount of extra damage that's been done, Mm. the actual increase, the ramping up of Mm. the damage that is causing this problem. And if things had ground to a halt or stopped at that point, we'd Mm. be in a very, very different situation now. Well, I think half the carbon emissions that have happened in the whole of human history have happened since that film came since out since that film came out that's, that's it, a yeah. devastating that's, stat so, so it? it's actually it's not a historical thing it's something it's us anyone that's listening to this is we're part of it we are part of the problem yeah and the fundamental point it's very possible we're all going to have premature lives now certainly our children will because the elites knew about this and nothing happened since 2003 and they've put like double the amount of carbon into the atmosphere. And this is another penny that drops moment, is the elites are going to allow us to die. They are not going to change things. I mean, since I became your sort of semi-famous, as it were, for Extinction Rebellion, I go and see all these posh people, you know, chief executives and all the rest of it. Mm. And, you know, some of them are terrified and doing stuff. But by and large, they just don't get it because they've got too much skin in the game of just continuing what's happening. Mm, business as usual. And I've just been around the country now talking to ordinary people in Scunthorpe and Sunderland and Camarthy, you know, all these towns that no one ever goes to, mm. and saying to them, all these people that are supposed to protect you, all these intelligent people, all these Oxbridge people, they're going to let you die because they've got no plan. They're, there's no plan, is there? Mm. I mean, we, we, we declared climate emergency in April. What's happened? Absolutely nothing. No, it's actually gone the reverse. I mean, the, the 20% yes. extra on solar panels, you know, it's a yeah. tiny thing. So it's a total taking the piss thing. Yeah. And one of the things that's come out of these public meetings is people come up, to, come up at the end, you know, they're in tears and they're just saying, we've been lied to for 30 years and we're not going to take that anymore. Mm. And I'm going to come down and do whatever it takes. You know, I'm going to get arrested, go to prison because it's over and it's this enormously powerful moment in people's lives because we love to think someone's sorting it out for us don't we of course we we do you know we've all done that as I said Thunderbirds I was brought up with Thunderbirds (laughs) it's like like there's some hero out there that's going to sort this and then it sort of dawns on you one day that if you don't do it it's not going to happen and you know 99% of the British population is not going to do it but like if 50% of the people who listen to these programmes do it we're basically like in the ballpark of transforming, you know, the political system. Mm. It doesn't take that many people. And so. Yeah, I mean, it has, to, it has to be said that there's there's absolutely no political organisation in the world, no one with certain access to levers of power that have a clue about doing anything about this. It's simply not part of the discourse. Mm. It's not part of the thought process. They're still debating about, you know, let's ramp it all up with the expansion of Heathrow. Mm again and again and again fracking restarted just a few weeks ago in mm. so England I think what we're heading towards mm. is this sort of moment of truth as a nation as a society and obviously internationally as well there's going to be this, mo- this is a moment of reckoning and it's going to you know my prediction is going to be rapid I mean in a few weeks 
the whole thing is going to come crashing down or transformed. It's going to be like the French Revolution. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be dramatic or, you know, radical mm -hmm. or anything. I'm saying it analytically that this system has got so much embedded sort of momentum in it to continue, which is why nothing's happening, that when it does stop, it's going to stop in a big way, you know, and it will either be some economic crisis or some climate shock or a political revolution. Mm. But it's happening because we're driving into the brick wall, right? Yeah. So it's absolutely determined now. It's not like a, a recession where people are going to rise up and then economic conditions get better and everyone goes, oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. This is not a human thing. This is the fundamental thing to realise, right? When the ice is gone in the Arctic, it's gone. It's a physics thing. It's warm, the ice melts. And that's going to create the weather chaos. And that's going to create the food crisis. And the food crisis is what brings about political revolution. You know, people haven't got bread in the supermarket. You'll soon, you know, you know that, if two or three days of that happening, the government will have gone, right? <laughs> people don't mess around when they're hungry. Mm. Uh, as There's big literature on it, right, on social collapse. We sort of know how it works. And uh, you saw that a little bit yesterday, dare I say it, you know, that little sort of little bit of noise in the system. You know, people were going to one of the outdoor swimming pools and the police had to be called because there was a bit of a fight and people were trying to get in. Mm. You know, it's 38 degrees. So what's going to happen when it's 42 or 45? It's going to... We know what's, we know what's happening. Going yeah. to be happening. And of course, those effects are going to be amplified in India. The crisis, I mean, the water shortage crisis and the water pollution crisis in India because the glaciers that feed the Ganges and all the mm. big rivers in the world, those glaciers mm. are going to be going and those big rivers that feed billions of people are not going to be flowing beyond the imagination awful isn't it yeah <laughs> i mean i can't i can't bear to think about it no no so we can't think about we can't bear to think about you know the the, the disaster possibilities but we can think about the positive things that can be done well i think the fundamental thing that i'm trying to communicate in the, you know in this interview is you know we can talk as much as we like about how terrible things are mm. but you know what extinction rebellion is about and what i want to communicate is it's not like we don't know what to do. As Erica Chenner said, there's no excuses. We do know what to do. And what we need to do is mass participation, civil disobedience, mm. and that will produce results. It's not going to necessarily save us, but it's going to put us in the ballpark of something constructive. And the longer we leave it, the more likely we're going to descend into fascism or social collapse. Mm. So, you know, October the 7th, you know, it's a practical, mm -hmm. this is a practical interview, right? Extinction yeah, yeah, Rebellion yeah. is not an academic organisation. It's like, it's here to do the business, you know, and it's serious. It's and, and there's thousands of people now ready to be arrested. A good few thousand people prepared to go to prison if needs be. And there's going to be wave after wave of it. You know, people probably think it's unbelievable, but I think we're in the ballpark of something, some major political change in the autumn. So, yeah, all depends on how many people. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. <laughs> you it's, know, it's, how many it's, people yeah. are going to take that time off work and, uh, it, it truly is this kind of stark choice isn't it it's either collaboration or fascism yeah it seems and fascism definitely has the upper hand at the moment in terms of media and in terms of of movement around the world the president of the united states is it's slightly overplays him to call him a fascist but nevertheless it's got all the smells and the flavors thereof yeah and and so you know left and progressives need to get with the program which is basically sacrifice right that's what people did in 20th century it wasn't about sending emails it wasn't about just going on one day march 
It was about saying, I'm going to go to the Spanish Civil War and might not be coming back. You're not going to defeat the radical right and the rise of fascism by going on the day march. Mm. Sorry. (laughs) It's empirically, like, illiterate, right? That's not... You know, the radical right has major, major advantages at the moment. Not least, they've got guts and they don't play around, you know, and they break the rules. And the left is still pretending that it doesn't Mm. have to get tough and it can play by the rules. Yeah. And all the nice courses and the universities and all the rest of it but that doesn't come to anything as we saw in you know 1933 yeah. when Hitler came to power what we need is serious organisation and street protest yeah that's that's a very interesting point that the right always breaks the rules and that's why there's always the initial surge and successes because they're not playing the game yeah I mean Dominic Cummins I read about him <gasps> on the way here Dominic Cummins yeah what did I he mean, say I he said like though. something along the line sorry probably yeah. misquoting him but I'm sure he agrees that like, rule, you know, staying in the rules is for sissies or something like that yeah <laughs> and he's now uh, and in, in the government. This, this, the this guy, government, yeah. he's been described by a colleague as a serial psychopath, and you know, which, as we know, is actually an advantage in the neoliberal system. Mm. Mm. Psychopathic cultures. Who wrote that book? Really good. Came out a few years ago. Oh, I'm not sure. But Another one to read. That's, <laughs> kind of, that's pointed the way to where we are now. It's yeah. inbuilt. It's in the instructions and the sort of capitalist and neoliberal framework. Yeah. 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 I think before we finish, I want to say a little bit more about this sacrifice business because I've been banging on about this. This is my next big thing, as it were, that I'm trying to persuade people of. There's a lot of resistance, of course. I mean, quite understandably, to the idea of people sacrificing themselves. You know, it's sort of some weird religious sort of thing or whatever. Uh, Or, you know, it's a bit dubious. And, And it probably is. But the fact of the matter is that historically people do have to engage in high-level sacrifice to bring about radical political change. And I've been arguing about this when I've been going around the country about people going to prison and what have you. And I think this is the next big argument to be had is, you know, before April, a lot of people came up to me and said, oh, Roger, you know, sitting in the streets, that's just going to disturb people, you know, and getting arrested, it's a waste of time and messing around, you know. And I said, no, this, this is the way to do it. And then since April, it's like, Largely, the argument's been won. It's a bit undeniable, right? It changed public opinion. Yeah. And it, the, the key causal factor, as you might say, was those thousand brave people getting arrested. It, as I said, if you'd just been there doing a little bit of a Glastonbury for a few days and waving a few banners, yeah, mm. you know, it would have caused a bit of a stir, a bit like, you know, Earth Day or something. You know, it's like everyone goes, oh, yes, you know, the environment, yeah, we need to think about that. But that would have been it. What the critical sort of causality here, I think, is the sacrifice when you see a thousand people getting dragged off the streets of London, like people wake up and there's some particular psychology of this is if you just hear me talking, you think, oh yeah, whatever. But if you see me getting dragged off on the street, it's a bit like you're going, hang on a minute, this person actually walks their talk. You know, they're prepared to suffer for the cause, as the phrase goes. Mm. They're prepared to lose their liberty. So maybe they're saying something serious. So that's like the psychology and that's how things change. Because once you put yourself in harm's way, then you create this effect on on observers. And obviously, the more it happens, then obviously the more intense the effect. So my argument is that a thousand people getting arrested, that's great, and maybe many thousand more will get arrested in October. But there's also a big role for people going to prison. 
And every serious social movement in the last 150 years has involved people going to prison, you know, civil rights movements, suffragettes and what have you. Mm. And that's something that obviously the British state doesn't want to do because they're quite intelligent, dare I say, compared with other elites and they don't want to just stick you into prison for, you know, doing a radio programme like this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're looking at situations where the state will have to put people into prison and it will be done in a dignified, calm way. My prediction will be that, you know, broadly speaking, obviously, is once you've got a few hundred people in prison, that's going to be even more dynamite than a thousand arrests. And again, prison isn't anything to not take seriously. Obviously, it's not for everyone and all the rest of it. But again, the fact of the matter is, it's a dynamite tactic to bring to the nation's attention that some people are banged up. Let's say 500 people in the autumn are banged up in prison. That's major news. It's not happened, right, since when? 1926 or something to general mm. strike I don't know I don't even know when, no, when the British sure. state banged 500 people up in prison for political protests sure but but that's it's a, it's a massive leader thing and I wouldn't be pushing this I feel a bit embarrassed about it because obviously it sounds quite full on but we've just got to come back to the fact we're in this emergent mm. this isn't a sort of we can wait till next year routine it's not like we've got 10 years it's like Paul Mason I spoke to him this week and he, you know, he's written this article for New Statesman and he said you know, the left traditionally has thought we've got time on our side, the march of human progress and all sure. that stuff. That's not the case anymore. The UN guy, leader of the UN, we've got two years, and that was a year ago. We've got 12 months mm. to turn this corner, to be in the ballpark of having a chance of not going extinct. Mm. So it's not like, oh, you know, I can get arrested, I'll think about that. No, it's, if you can go to prison, obviously you need to find out about it, tell your family, you need to think about it. It's not a light decision. But the fact of the matter is, Thousands of people could go to prison for a, a few weeks. And that would be mass. That's probably, in my view anyway, the single most effective tactic over the next six months in terms of going forward with all this. And what else is there to do? Mm. <laughs> in the face of what we've been talking about, what else indeed is there to do? My, my head is really rather spinning after that. And having spent most of my life in a sort of coloured haze of unreality, I just checked in to see what condition our condition is in. And it's really rather disturbing. What to do? All I can say is that a very brief glance at the internet while Googling climate action and climate emergency, one can see that millions of people around the world are actually getting together to do as much as can be done. For instance, in September, there's um, a climate strike. A global climate strike has been called, and already, it seems, millions of people, along with the youth climate action groups, are getting together for this climate action. And as Roger Haller mentioned earlier on in today's programme, Extinction Rebellion are starting another rebellion in many cities across the world and in London that's starting at 10am on Monday the 7th of October and one of our previous guests our old mayor Ken Livingstone the most successful socialist politician in living memory he has already pledged to be a part of that action he's taking more than a fortnight off work and um, he's going to be there so 
I cannot possibly tell you what to do. I can only say that my head is spinning and I'm looking for things that need to be done. Meanwhile, Resonance FM takes a summer holiday. There will be many things from our archives and Isotopica and myself will be returning in September. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch for all things collaborative and uh, communal and collective, then you can do so through my website being www.theculture.net. Everything else, Extinction Rebellion, is out there for you on Google. I hope you enjoyed this season of Istopka. Thanks once again, Roger Hallam, for coming along today from your very busy schedule. And see you all in the fall. Meanwhile, in true Istopka style, we're going to go out as the world is heading towards an end with a little bit of jazz. Keep safe. Have a nice summer. Simon, signing out. Thank you.
This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can support Isotopica by going directly to our website being www.theculture.net slash support. All the engineers, program makers and artists at Resonance FM provide their work on a voluntary basis. Resonance FM can be found at resonancefm.com. Thank you for listening to Resonance FM.